It is a great treasure indeed that God has said, you will be my people, I will be your God, the essence of his covenant with us. Please open your Bibles with me this morning to the book of Jonah. Again, it's about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. It's on page 865 in my Bible, but that might not help you. We come to the end today of this short series through this short uh, prophetic book, considering Jonah and his work of evangelism, uh, not something that he always did willingly, um, and yet uh, we, we do see Christ in him. Jesus himself told us that he was one greater than Jonah. And we come to chapter 4 and we find Jonah the miserable evangelist. And most of us know what it's like to be miserable. You're upset about something or some things or someone, and it seems nothing can make it better. And the tendency in that situation is just to sulk in our misery and get more miserable. And that's exactly where we see Jonah. Now, we're told that he was angry, and I use the term in the title, miserable, he was, he was furious, and we need to remember about anger, there is a righteous anger of which ours is not usually, and of which Jonah's was not, but even an unrighteous anger can be moving toward a solution, and that was not Jonah's situation. He was miserable in his anger. We're told that he was angry, he told God that he was angry, and he sat down outside the city of Nineveh and pouted. But God has given us this word for our instruction, and so may we learn from him. Jonah chapter 4, I'll be reading the entire chapter. This is the very word of the very God. I'm going to back up to verse 10 of chapter 3, just so we get, we get wise angry. When, Jonah, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to, flee, haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh? that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. 
And that ends the account of Jonah. And having heard from God in his word, please join me in your hearts as I ask the Lord for his help as we consider his word together. Father in heaven, we do come to your word and we want to come attentively. We ask that you would grant the work of your Holy Spirit for both me as the speaker and for us all as hearers. And we pray that it might be not the preacher, but Jesus himself, the one greater than Jonah, who is heard today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The miserable evangelist. Why was Jonah miserable? Well, we're told two reasons in the text. First, he was miserable because God was too merciful to undeserving sinners. God was too merciful to undeserving sinners. The first time you ever read the story of Jonah, you should have been shocked. And this morning, when you heard it for maybe the umpteenth time, you should still be shocked. It should shock us as Jonah is angry at God for his mercy. To read those words in verse 2 and to hear them in the anger of Jonah's mouth and heart is shocking. In chapter 2, Jonah praises God for his mercy. In chapter 4, Jonah is angry with God for his mercy. What's the difference? Well, in chapter 2, Jonah knows that he needs God's mercy. And in chapter 4, he's seeing God's mercy to undeserving sinners. They don't deserve your mercy, God, like I do, Jonah says. That's why I fled to Tarshish. I knew that you would do this. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, and I knew that if I told them you were going to destroy them, you'd instead be compassionate toward them. One, one Bible uh, pastor and writer writes this. You would have thought that Jonah would have gone back to Israel and said, Folks, I've just got to tell you what happened. I'm telling you, you've got to hear the story. The whole city of Nineveh repented. The whole city, the king, everybody. They came down, they put in sackcloth and ashes. You, you would think that Jonah would have gone back, if, not, if nothing else, for his own credibility as a prophet to tell his tale. Most missionaries would be elated, so elated by this kind of news that they couldn't contain themselves. But not Jonah. It displeased Jonah greatly, and he became angry. Yet do notice that even in his anger, Jonah prays. We are allowed a freedom to pour out our complaint to God in prayer. And in his prayer, like in his prayer from the belly of the fish, Jonah speaks gospel truth. Now he's angry about it, but he speaks truth. God is merciful. He gives out undeserved kindness and love. God is compassionate. He cares about sinners. God is slow to anger, though his anger is always righteous. And he does express it, and he will express it. And if you are here and you have not submitted to Christ, if you have not found forgiveness in Christ, then God's anger will be upon you. If you die in unbelief, you will face his anger for eternity. And yet God is slow 
in his anger. He gives time. He gave Jonah two opportunities. Beginning of chapter 1, he tells Jonah to get up and go, and Jonah goes the other way. In the beginning of chapter 3, he tells Jonah to get up and go, and Jonah goes. Even to Nineveh. As, as Jonah probably bellowed out, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed, that's 40 days. Nineveh didn't deserve 40 days. God didn't owe them 40 days. Their evil had become great and had come up in the sight of God, and yet he is slow to anger. He doesn't get angry quickly like you, like me. A friend of mine, maybe this has been your experience, said, I didn't realize I was an angry person until I got married until I had children. We are so quick to fly off the handle, but God is slow to anger. He's rich in his faithful covenant love, and he relents from sending calamity. And so Jonah says, God, you're merciful and compassionate. You're slow to anger. You're rich in grace. You hold back, deserve judgment, and I don't like it because they don't deserve it. The implication there is I deserve it, God, but they don't deserve it. And I suspect at times when we look at unbelievers, we might be inclined to think, God, they don't deserve it. They deserve your wrath. I'm glad that you're God of justice, Lord, because that person needs your justice. Maybe they do, but might we instead pray that they would receive God's mercy? You see, if we think the way that Jonah thinks will be miserable and angry like Jonah was. Jonah was angry and miserable because God was too merciful to undeserving sinners. And then secondly, the text tells us that Jonah was angry and miserable because God wasn't kind enough to him. God wasn't kind enough to him. After events against God for his mercy and compassion, he goes out of the city and he sits down to watch what will happen. Though it doesn't tell us this, I suspect that Jonah was hoping that God would relent again from his relenting and he would destroy Nineveh. Maybe he was going to sit there until the 40 days were completed and see if perhaps God came to his senses in Jonah's way of thinking and brought upon Nineveh the destruction that they deserved. We don't know that, but he sat down to watch and see what would happen. And it was hot. It was the summertime and it was extremely hot. And God, who's been at work in this whole account, continues to work. God appointed a whale in chapter 1, or a great fish, and here he appointed a plant and then a tiny worm. God is in charge, and he grew up a shade plant for Jonah in a day. We can say, well, you can't grow a plant in a day. I don't know, maybe you can. I don't know the... I'm not a botanist. I don't know what plants grow quickly and what plants don't. If you read commentaries on this, they'll tell you what sort of plant they think grew up. But what we do know is Jonah had built a shelter, and he must not have been much of a carpenter because the shelter wasn't sheltering him from the heat. But God grew up a plant, and that plant came up, and Jonah thought, oh, doesn't that feel good? And you've probably had that experience where you've been in in weather that's just so hot that the tiniest bit of shade is a relief. You just think, oh, if if I can just make it up to that shade 
and stand there for a little bit before I have to get back out in the sun. And Jonah was excited. He was happy. Jonah thought, that's better. I need refreshment. I deserve refreshment. And he enjoyed that plant for the day that it shaded him. And then God continued to work. And he appointed a worm. I don't know how a worm can kill a plant, but God did. And he pointed a worm to attack the plant. The next morning, the sun was hot and the plant was gone. And Jonah was so angry that once again he wanted to die. He wanted to die. Jonah wanted the mercy of God so that his life could be nice. And we do too at times. We need to have the attitude of the psalmist in Psalm 67. Why did the psalmist want mercy from God? So that the world would know of God's salvation. When God shows you mercy, are you desiring to show that to the world so that they will know? That wasn't what Jonah wanted. He wanted mercy so that his life could be nice. Why did this good thing that I deserve get taken away? My comfort, my peace, my happiness, my things. See, we're not all that different from Jonah. I suspect of you children that at least once in your life you've said, those are my things and you can't have them. I want them. We cling tightly to the things that we want. And when we can't have them for some reason, we say, why me, Lord? Why me, Lord? Now again, remember, it's okay to pray in that state. You, you don't have to pretend to God. In fact, to pretend to God would be foolish. You know, you're, you're angry, but you're going to talk nice to God as, as if somehow if he knew you were angry, he'd, he wouldn't listen to you. Well, he knows you're angry. And you can tell him that you're angry, but you need to listen to him as well. You need to listen to his word. You need to respond to the things that God does. If you stay in that state of desiring your comfort, your peace, your happiness, your things, pretty much guaranteed that you're going to be miserable at some point or another because those things won't be enough or they'll be taken away or something will happen to them. Jonah was angry and miserable because God was too merciful to undeserving sinners and wasn't kind enough to him. But Jesus tells us in the New Testament that he is one greater than Jonah and how do we see, particularly in, re in response to chapter 4, how do we see that Jesus is greater than Jonah? Again, we're not inventing the connection, the comparison. Jesus is the one who tells us this. He affirms that the account of Jonah is a true historical account, and yet he is one better. How is Jesus better than Jonah? He gave up his right to God's kindness to him. He gave up his right to God's kindness did Jonah deserve God's kindness? No. Do you deserve God's kindness? No. Do I deserve God's kindness? No. Did Jesus deserve God's kindness? Yes. And he gave it up. We studied that last month in Philippians. He emptied himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And we need to understand just as shocking as it should be to us that Jonah was angry at the merciful compassion of God, so it must constantly shock us that Jesus emptied himself of his right to receive the kindness of God. And in doing so, 
he suffered untold misery, untold agony. In the garden, he said, Lord, if it is possible, let this cup, the cup of the wrath of God, a cup which God had said he would have to drink to its dregs. Lord, if it's possible, he prayed three times, take this cup from me. But he said, not my will, but yours be done. And then at the cross, on the cross, Eloi, Eloi, lama sambachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Though he knew, he still cried out with those words. He suffered untold misery and agony. But in his misery, he wasn't miserable. In his abandonment, he wasn't angry. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Sometimes we cling to our rights, but we're miserable. And yet, in what seems to us to be unusual, at times when we give up our rights, especially when we give up our rights for the benefit of someone else, we find in that happiness. And in a small way, a very small way, we can imitate Christ in that way. Give up my rights for another and find happiness from God in my service. Jesus is greater than Jonah because he gave up his right to God's kindness to him. And secondly, he purchased God's mercy to undeserving sinners. He purchased God's mercy to undeserving sinners. Jonah knew of the mercy of God. He outlines it in verse 2. He hears it from God in verse 10. But he didn't want undeserving sinners like the Ninevites to get it. And, and the Ninevites were undeserving. Just like me. Just like you. We come to the Lord and we say, God, have mercy on me, the sinner. Jesus purchased that mercy. He purchased it for all those that the Father had given him. Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order that he might bring us to God. 1 Peter 3.18 He purchased the mercy of God for you. He purchased the mercy of God for Nineveh, for any of the Ninevites who were saved were saved by the work of Christ. How much of that they understood, we don't know. But anyone who is saved from the wrath of God is saved because that wrath has been poured out on Christ instead of on them. That wrath has been poured out on Christ instead of on you. God made the one who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become in him the righteousness of God. And the response to that, though Paul puts it before he makes that statement in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, 2 Corinthians 5, 20, he says, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. Certain that God is appealing through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And we have that message of reconciliation. We know that the mercy of God is available to repentant sinners. And may we never May we never be angry that God gives it 
to undeserving sinners like us. Jesus purchased God's mercy to undeserving sinners. So how can you, how can I fight misery? Just a comment about the end of Jonah. Did Jonah change? We don't know. A lot of speculation. Very abrupt ending. Don't I, God the Lord, have the right to care about these 120,000 people and their cattle? End of story. Some speculate that Jonah's written book was a confession, perhaps a hint of things that he learned. We, we simply don't know. It could be that his final state is a reflection of who Jonah really was. Someone who was angry at God for showing mercy to others. Certainly a dangerous place to be. Don't let that be your position. Instead, fight misery. How can you fight misery? You can fight misery by showing God's kindness to others rather than demanding it for ourselves. I want and I don't have to dwell on these things is a sure path to misery and anger. But I have received and therefore I will give is God's path to happiness and joy. Even the world, to some degree, gets this. The, the, the pay-it-forward idea. Someone's nice to you, you be nice to them. Some of you know that one of, the, one of the reasons that we weren't sure if we should come to Colorado Springs when you called us was because there's not an Aldi grocery store here. <laughs> and Aldi grocery stores are the best place to shop except that you have to have a quarter for the shopping cart or the buggy if you're in Pittsburgh or the trolley if you're in Australia. A quarter or a token. But often, outside of Aldi in Pittsburgh and even in Australia, people would hand you their cart or their buggy as they were leaving and you were coming in saying, it's already paid for, you can have it. And the idea behind that was they hoped that you would then give it to someone else I can't tell you how many quarters I collected that way. No, I, I, I didn't because that would be the path to misery. When God gives you a gift, you want to pay it on to someone else. You want to give that gift to someone else. When God shows you kindness, show kindness to someone else. Show it to them instead of demanding it for ourselves. And especially as we think about the lost. Think about your unbelieving friends, neighbors, family members. How can I show kindness to them because Christ has shown kindness to me? I, I don't do it nearly as often as I wish that I did, but whenever I have the opportunity to help someone, often in an unexpected way, maybe, maybe they're at the side of the road and, and they need help pushing their car off, the, off to the side of the road or whatever it is, I always try to say, I don't always get it done, but I always try to say, as they express thanks, it's just a small way that I can show kindness to others because of the great kindness that God has shown me through Christ. It's not much of a testimony. It's, it's just a seed. And maybe they think, well, good for you. But I want them to think, good for your God. Show kindness to others rather than demanding it 
for yourselves. And then secondly, how can you fight misery? Prayerfully seek God's mercy to undeserving sinners like us. Prayerfully seek God's mercy to undeserving sinners like us. I think especially if we've been in Christ long, we forget how desperate our situation was. And, and some of that's due to the kindness of God. We, we don't have to dwell in the past. We don't have to remember, for some of us, the heinousness of our sin and the mercy of God that was shown to us. But sometimes, because it's been a while, we forget how undeserving we were. We begin to think, well, we're Christians, and we're pretty nice Christians. I mean, look at us. You know, look around. Look at the people in front of you and behind you. I mean, we're a nice group of people, aren't we? We, we must deserve something to be this good a situation. No, we don't. And so we pray that God would show the mercy to others that he's shown to us. One of the reasons that I find it useful to read Christian autobiographies, especially of Christians who come to Christ from the depths of sin, is because that's what happened to happen to me. That's what had to happen to you. It's no different. Even if your sin was different, you needed the mercy of God. And as you see and remember how God has shown mercy to you, as you hear the testimony of how God has shown mercy to others, you can pray that God would show mercy like that to those that you know. John prayed for the prodigals. Many of you are praying for prodigals in your own family. That God would show them mercy. If God granted all of your prayers from this last week, how many more people would be in the kingdom of God? If God granted all your prayers from this last week, how many more people would be in the kingdom of God? One writer put it this way, if God granted all your prayers, would your neighbors know it, or would you just have more stuff? can't say amen, you can say ouch. If God granted all your prayers, would your neighbors know him or would you just have more stuff? Pray for God's mercy to be shown to undeserving sinners like you. Tell them, as you have opportunity, tell them about God's mercy. And if you feel like, I, I, I don't know what to say, well, bring them to your friends who do. You see, we, we witness as a church. We witness as a community of the people of God. And so, if you need to, bring your non-Christian friends around others who can help to tell them. And look for and plan with others ways to get your unbelieving friends around others who can tell them maybe more clearly than you can about the mercy of God. Bring them to church. It's my hope that every sermon that's preached from this pulpit or that pulpit will include the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether it's from me or someone else. Bring them in the prayerful hope that they might receive mercy like you have received mercy. And ask God to make you like him. To make you merciful, showing undeserved kindness. To make you compassionate, caring about the lost around you. To make you slow to anger so that you're patient with unbelievers. To make you rich in grace, loving them in spite of the way that perhaps they mistreat you asking God to relent from the judgment that they deserve. 
show God's kindness to others rather than demanding it for ourselves. Prayerfully seek God's mercy to undeserving sinners like us and rejoice when they receive it. Rejoice when they receive it. 120,000 people. God said, should I not care for these 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right hand and their left? Now, there's some debate over that. Some people think that that means that those were 120,000 children. They hadn't yet learned to tell their right hand from their left hand. But others think, no, it probably was a reflection of moral immaturity, that these 120,000 Ninevites didn't have the moral ability to tell right from wrong. We don't know. What we do know is God said there were 120,000 people, and he cared about them. It's about the population of Pueblo, I think. If the place I looked it up is right. It's about the population of Evansville, where I first pastored. It's about the population of Frankston City, my second pastorate. 120,000 people, and they're animals. God cares about them. And so might we pursue not misery but joy in showing and telling undeserving sinners about God's great mercy and praying for God's great mercy to them. As a friend of mine who concluded his series on Jonah reminded his hearers, when you remember Jonah, don't just remember the great fish. Remember the great catch, 120,000 about whom God cared and for whom he relented from the disaster that they deserved. Pray with me that God would make that sort of work among us. Our Father in heaven, we don't have enough faith to pray for 120,000 souls. But maybe we have enough faith to pray for one, or two, or three. And maybe you would be pleased to use the prayers and the merciful kindness of us, your people, who are reflecting our Father who is in heaven, who are telling about God's mercy, that though you will be destroyed if you don't repent, if you do repent, you can find forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ might you be pleased to use that message from our lips to bring some to repent and believe the gospel, to trust in the one who is greater than Jonah? Might it be that in the next couple of weeks as we move into our new building and a new neighborhood, as we go out into the neighborhood and invite people to church, might it be that you would save some, not for our good but for your glory, and might we find joy in, in passing on the compassion that we have from you rather than trying to hold it on for ourselves. And would you be pleased to extend the work of Christ in and through us for as long as you give us breath. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.